Would you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12. I'd like to um, invite you on a bit of a journey of the week that was over the past seven days, just to uh, give you some insight into how God is working in the midst of the series that we're in right now. So last Sunday, we gathered together here, and we were in Luke chapter 12, just right before the passage where we're going to be today, where Jesus warns against a heart that is filled with covetousness. And so Luke tells a story of a man in a crowd who wanted Jesus to uh, help him get his share of the inheritance that his father was leaving, but Jesus saw the desire for wealth and material possessions that was in this guy's heart, and Jesus told a parable to teach the crowd that it's more important to be rich toward God than it is to lay up treasure for yourself on this earth. And last week, we learned three main lessons from that parable. First, life is not about what you have, but about who you know. Second, life is not about what you own, but about who owns you. And then third, life is not about what you treasure on earth, but what you store up for eternity. And that led us then to some pretty important questions at the end of that message. What can you do? What can we do to make sure that other people do not meet the same end as that rich man in Luke chapter 12? Because by the time Jesus got to the end of that parable, God called the rich man a fool because that rich man was not trusting in God for everything that he had and for everything that he needed. What can we do to make sure that people here at home and around the world know that the most important thing is not to be rich in this life, but to be rich in the life to come? So That was a week ago today. Later that day, early the next day, a brother in Christ from our church, his name's Cameron. Uh, Some of you may know Cameron. And uh, Cameron has a personal desire to share the gospel with many of the less fortunate people that live right here in our city. And and Cameron has put together this small package of information that he gives to people that explains the gospel to them. And he's got a Mission City Bible Church card in there that's part of the package. And, And he's connecting with a bunch of less fortunate people right here in our city. And he tells them to stop by our church office if there's any needs that we that they have that we're able to help meet. And so God's using Cameron in a very simple and yet a very significant way to reach many people across our city with the love of God through Jesus Christ for them. That's Sunday, Monday. Then on Monday, uh, I have a meeting in Hamilton, had a meeting this past Monday in Hamilton that was booked about two months ago, long before we even started the series, and and I met with Pastor Dwayne Klein. Uh, Dwayne is the pastor at Houston Street Baptist Church in the north end of Hamilton, and, and their church is located in a difficult part of the city, and God has given them so much favor to reach out to the poor and the needy and the homeless and the less fortunate, and, and they have found some really creative ways to connect and to reach out and share the love of God through faith in Christ uh, with those people. And so I spent a few hours on Monday with Dwayne uh, just talking and praying and seeking the Lord, and I walked away from that conversation so encouraged and yet so challenged and convicted in many other ways by so much of what I heard and even by many of the things that I saw as well. So that's Monday. And on Tuesday, um, our staff meets together for Bible study and prayer first thing in the morning. And, and just as we're getting into our study, a homeless man walks into our church office. His name's Alfred. And so two of the guys on our staff walk up to the front of our church office and they spend the next hour or so just talking to Alfred, talking about life, talking about his needs, talking about the gospel, talking about how we can meet some of the needs that he has. And, and we come to find out through the course of that conversation that Alfred is there in our church office because Cameron had connected with him just the day before. 
And so he reads the card. He comes into the church office and strikes up this conversation. And all Alfred has is the coat that he's wearing and this massive backpack and whatever he can stuff into that. And, and so before we know it, he's up, he's ready to go. And so we prayed with him and then Alfred is gone. In the meantime, as that's happening at the front of our church office, the rest of our staff were in the back of our church office in our prayer time, and, and the Lord led uh, some of us on, on our team to pray specifically for the homeless people in our city, I think triggered in part by the fact that Alfred had just walked into our office, and, and to pray particularly for many of these tent cities that have popped up in different places because the growing homeless population right here in our city is outpacing the ability that the city has to care well for those people. Now, some of you know that our church office is located right next door to the food bank and, and literally, like literally right across the street from our office is one of these tent cities. And so our staff, Tuesday morning, coming out of our prayer time together, knowing how the Lord has been leading us specifically to pray during that time, and we're like, okay, something's got to happen. And it's got to happen. Like, we got to do something like right now. And so all of us together, our staff, we got up and, and we walked across the street to this tent city, took 30 seconds to get there, and we just started talking to a few of the people that we met there. I think of Derek, the first guy that we met. He's living in the front seat of his truck because he has nowhere else to go. He's eating food that someone else had brought him just a little while before we got there. And he's telling us this story about how he's been trying to find some help for so long, but he feels like he's been lost in a system that's broken and he just doesn't know what else to do. We had been talking to Derek for a little while when all of a sudden Crystal climbs out of the back of his truck. And when the weather got bad the night before, Derek had told her that she could sleep in the back seat of his truck. And so she's standing there five, ten feet away from us in bare feet, standing in a pool of cold and dirty water and telling us a little bit of her story. And just as you stand there and you look down this row of trees and woods, all you see are these little tents that have popped up all over the place. They're just real people with real needs and, and they're just fighting for some space and they're just fighting to hang on to what they have because they don't really know where their next little bit is going to come from. Then we met Ashley. We saw the tent that she's living in with her sister and if you could have been there and seen what the living conditions were like, you might have thought to yourself, like, how are you even making this work? Like, how are you surviving right now? We spent the next few minutes talking to Derek and Crystal and Ashley, trying to find out what they needed and how we could help, and we ended up with a pretty good list of stuff that, that we could actually help with. And so before we left, we told them why we had walked across the street to meet them and, and why we came to see them, that, that we believe that Jesus has done this work in our lives and that he gave us everything when we literally had nothing. And, and so we just prayed with them, and, and we prayed that specifically they would know that even though they feel forgotten by a system that seems broken to them, that they would know with absolute clarity in their hearts that they will never be forgotten by God. And so we prayed with them, and, and we said, just give us a little bit of time. We're going to come back, and, and we'll have this stuff, we hope. And, and so a couple hours later, we had everything on the list that they had given us, and, and we went back over. We spent the next little while, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was, just helping them get set up and organized in the way that they needed it, that they wanted it. And, and we just spent some time talking with them and getting to know them a little bit, and, and more beyond anything that we could give to them or do for them, just wanting to know that they are loved. I share that with you because that's part of the direction that Jesus is taking us in our passage today and he teaches us one simple lesson. 
Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. And the reality is that when you treasure the right kingdom, there's certain ways that, that you know that's happening within your life. But the opposite of that is true as well, that, that when you're not treasuring the right kingdom, there's certain things that indicate that within your life as well. And Jesus addresses all of these things in this passage. And, and part of what we've been learning through this series is that it feels to us sometimes like our lives are often lived in the crossfire of competing kingdoms. Like everything in our flesh wants to store up treasure for this life and, and it's it, like we've all heard the stereotypes too, right? Like, like some people, they come to church and they get so upset because when they come to church, they feel like we're always talking about money. Like I come to church and, and all they want is my money. We've heard those stereotypes, right? And, and some people come and, and they may not show it on the outside, they may not say anything right away, but inside they're just burning up and, and maybe they start sweating on the outside and, and they're just getting all worked up and they're like, why are you poking at my idol, man? Like my idol's so nice and shiny and, and I just like it the way that it is. If you could just leave it where it is, thank you very much. And the whole reason that we're doing this series is because Jesus himself says, and he's gonna say to us right here again in this passage, that there's just too much at stake. Like there's too much just for us to kind of nonchalantly walk past this and, and just pretend that this doesn't even matter. Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. Because when you treasure the right kingdom, there's certain things that begin to happen within your heart. And when those certain things begin to happen within your heart, then certain things begin to happen within your life as well. So let's look at this together. Now, first, I want to give you four reasons why you can trust the king. And then five ways to treasure the kingdom. So I want to start four reasons that you can trust the king. Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. So four reasons why you can trust the king. And then five ways to treasure his kingdom. So here's the first reason why you can trust the king. Number one, God knows all that we lack. Let's look at this together. Luke 12, starting at verse 22. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So keep in mind that this teaching here is coming right on the heels of Jesus' teaching about being rich toward God, about trusting in God, about believing in God for every need that you have and for everything that you lack. And maybe as Jesus is teaching this, they're sitting on a hillside, everybody's there together, and, and as Jesus teaches this, there's birds that are flying overhead, and, and maybe he says, hey, hey, look up at the birds and, and just consider the ravens for a minute. Like, the ravens never wonder about where their next meal is going to come from. Like, the ravens do nothing to store up today for stuff that they need tomorrow. They just search and scrounge in the moment to get what they're looking for. And Jesus says, look at the ravens in the sky. Like, they don't have anything. They are totally dependent on the food being there when they need it and when they want it. And even in that, God provides for them. And so if God provides for them, just think how much more valuable are you to God than any of those birds who are in the sky? Jesus goes on, verse 25. In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
So just think about this for a minute. Jesus knows that we live in a world where a lot of things make us anxious. That's why he talks about anxiety three times just here in these few verses. It's part of the consequence of living in a broken and sinful world like we do. And Jesus, in his grace, it's like he comes to these people and he says, okay, just wait a minute here. Let's just consider some things for a minute. And Jesus says, first of all, nobody's going to add anything to their life by being anxious about the stuff that's making you so anxious. Okay, it just doesn't work. Like, you can be anxious, but it's going to add nothing at all to your life except trouble. And then second, Jesus says, look around this valley and see all these beautiful flowers. And notice how amazing it makes this valley look. Like, these flowers do nothing to make themselves grow and to look as beautiful as they do. And yet these flowers make this valley look far more glorious than even King Solomon looked at the height of his power and his prosperity. Why? Because God's the one who does it. Like, just look around. See these flowers that are popping up all over the place. God is the one who does it. The problem, though, is we read that, and we know that in our culture, at least, in about a week, some dude's going to come with his John Deere, and he's going to lawnmower the whole thing and destroy everything. But then God's going to do it again, and these flowers are going to grow again. Why? Because of his good pleasure. Because he glories in that. And just think, Jesus says, for as much as God may delight in those flowers in that valley, and for as beautiful as it makes it look, and for as much as it displays his glory, Jesus says, you matter far more to God than any single one of those flowers in that valley. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's realigning our perspective. He's, he's bringing our perspective back. Like whenever, think about this, whenever you get to a place in your life where, uh, where your finances or your relationships or your decisions that you have to make are making you anxious, you have a choice to make in that moment. Which kingdom will I treasure? Which kingdom am I going to go after? Because your choice of kingdom will be revealed in what happens in your life next. If you choose the kingdom of self, if you choose the kingdom of world, then it's going to lead to anxiety, it's going to lead to fear, it's going to lead to worry. But if you choose the kingdom of God, it's going to lead to peace, it's going to lead to joy, it's going to lead to blessing because you know that God is with you. When you come to those moments, you have a choice to make. Which kingdom will I treasure? Like, just think, loved ones, right now, just think in this moment. How does my mind right now in this moment need to be renewed by what the word of God is saying? How does my heart need to be transformed based on what Jesus is saying right here? Do I have the right perspective of what's happening in my life? Do I have the right perspective of the money and possessions that God has given to me? Do I truly believe that God knows everything that I lack? Just think for a minute about how this plays out in your financial giving to the Lord. And specifically, uh, your giving to the mission of God through this church. Like as elders and leaders in this church, we do not know who gives, nor do we know who gives how much, nor will we ever know that. We're not going to go digging for that kind of detail. But think about this for a second in terms of your own financial giving to the Lord through this church and understand something right at the very beginning that when we pass around that offering bag, you're not giving to the church, okay? We need to understand that fundamentally right at the very baseline. You're not giving to the church. You're giving to the Lord. You're giving to the Lord through the church because that's the way that God has designed it. So as you think about your financial giving to the Lord through the church, are you giving joyfully? Are you giving generously? Are you giving sacrificially all New Testament principles for financial giving? 
Like, are you giving in those, are you giving in a sacrificial way based on what the Lord has blessed you with at this particular point, this particular season of your life? And, And think about this. As you're giving, are you trusting that the Lord will take care of everything else that you need? See, when we give to the Lord, when we give financially, we often think that, that the act of giving that gift back to the Lord is the act of faith, and it is. It is most definitely part of that. Whatever it is that we have determined in our heart to give to the Lord, we give that to him as an act of faith. But in giving that to him, we are also saying, God, I am trusting you that in giving you this, that I'm trusting in you for the rest of what I need. Because you know what I lack, and you know what I need. Think of how this plays out at tax time. Are you being truthful with the government when you file your taxes? Like, understand, I'm not asking right now about whether or not you agree with the government and what they require or the regulations that they've established for how much you need to pay. I'm not asking that, not concerned about that right now. I'm simply asking, are you willing to check your heart on that? Like, are, are you being truthful with the government that God has placed over us? And in doing that, in paying your taxes, in not cutting corners, in not cheating, in not doing this or that, not holding back more for yourself or, or for whatever reason you think you need to do that, in doing that, are you trusting that the Lord will provide for everything else that you lack? See, Jesus is using these examples here in these few verses to bring us back to the right perspective. He wants you to treasure the right kingdom. Jesus totally nails it at the end of verse 28. If you're not treasuring the right kingdom, you know why you're not? He says it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. And whenever you find a lack of faith, you will inevitably find a life that is crippled by anxiety. You can trust the king because God knows all that we lack, but notice this second, God provides all that we need. Four reasons that you can trust the king God provides all that we need. Verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. See that word seek in verse 29? It's also in verses 30 and 31. Three times just in these few verses. The word means to search after something intensely. Like to go after something with with total intensity. A couple of weeks ago I lost my wallet looking all over the place for it. Like, I was looking in my car. I was looking in coat pockets. I was looking in cupboards and drawers where I would never put it, but I had looked everywhere else, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And so looking all over the place, I was within minutes of calling all the places that I have cards with that have so much of my personal information on it, like minutes away from that. And then all of a sudden, John, my son, he finds it in my car, finds my wallet. It slid down beside the seat in a place where I couldn't see it. And, and so... The thing is, when, when something like that happens, when you lose something like that, like you're searching all over the place for it, right? Like that becomes your number one priority. You're going after that with everything that you have. I gotta find this before it's too late. That's the idea of seeking. That's what he's talking about here when he says, seek after these things. And Jesus says here, when you get anxious about the stuff of the world, It's like you're standing at a fork in the road and you have a choice to make in that moment. And Jesus says you can choose to go one way in that fork in the road. But if you choose to go in that direction, then inevitably that's going to lead to a life of anxiety and worry and fear. But you can also choose to go the other direction in that fork in the road. And when you go that way, it's going to lead you to trust in your father. Now I want to be really, really careful with this here. 
Because Jesus is not condemning us because we get anxious or worried or afraid. Okay, I want you to hear that. Jesus does not condemn us because we get anxious, worried, or afraid. But what he is saying here is that there needs to be a difference in the way that Christians live compared to how non-Christians live. He says, for the nations, go after these things. For the, the world, the unbelievers, go after these things. They seek after these things. He says, the world seeks their number one priority, the thing they're giving their time and their attention and their resources and their energy to. They're going after the money and the possessions and the bigger house and the nicer car. They're going after all those things. The world trusts in themselves to take care of themselves. That's the point. And Jesus says here, you don't have to live like that. Why? Because your father knows everything that you need. Like just think about that for a minute. Your father. Your father who loves you. Your father who has compassion for you. Your father who created you to bear his image and to display his glory. Your father who gave his only son to die for you so that when you believe in the son, you can know the Father. And this Father invites you in the midst of circumstances that are making you anxious and worried and afraid about your money, your possessions, your this, your that. This Father invites you to come to him and to trust in him and to believe that he not only knows what you lack, but he will provide what you need. Jesus says that the answer to the anxiety and the worry that we face over these things is, is not by getting more control, it's by giving up control. Do you trust the Father to provide for you? Jesus says when, when you get anxious, it's like you're standing at that crossroads with a decision to make. Will I go after the stuff of the world, like the world? Or, he gives us another option in verse 31. Notice what he says. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Notice the, the world seeks after these things, but Jesus says, seek his kingdom. So not only does God know all that we lack and provide all that we need, but then this, number three, God rules over all that there is. Four reasons to trust the king. God rules over all that there is. Now we're going to come back uh, to these last few verses in a minute and draw out some application, but, but notice here, Jesus says, instead. Instead of worrying about where all this stuff is going to come from and, and how you're going to take care of yourself, he says, seek the kingdom with that kind of intensity that you would look for a lost wallet or, or you would look for something that's really, really important to you. He says, search for the kingdom of God like that. Because his promise is that when you bring that need to his throne of grace that sits in that kingdom, he's going to take care of everything that you need. Maybe not with what you want, but most definitely with what you need. Like you can trust the king because he rules over all that there is. And then one more reason, number four, God delights in all who are his. Just think about that. God delights in all who are his. Look at verse 32. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have nothing to fear because it's the good pleasure of this king to give you the entirety of his kingdom. Like we, we need to understand that God is not some stingy ruler sitting on a throne who only doles out what he thinks is needed. He is a generous king who finds great pleasure in giving his children exactly what they need and exactly when they need it. So four reasons to trust the king. Which leads then to verses 31 to 34 and I want to show you five ways to treasure his kingdom. 
Five ways to treasure his kingdom. Here's the first. Number one, undivided loyalty. Undivided loyalty. Verse 31, again, notice this. Jesus says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do you see the difference that Jesus points out between unbelievers and believers when it comes to money and possessions? Like verse 30, all the unbelievers seek after the material stuff of the world, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, and that's their aim. Like that's what they're giving their life toward. But, but notice what Jesus says here. When God's kingdom is your primary pursuit, he says, then these things will be added to you. So when Jesus says, seek the kingdom, and these things will be added to you, he's not talking about the material possessions that the world pursues. God already knows what you need. And he's going to take care of you in those needs. He's talking here instead about the eternal possessions that only the king can give. These things, the eternal kingdom treasures, will be, like no doubt about it, all in, 100%, flat out, guarantee. These things will be added to you. All of these things are yours because you are Christ's. Like, that is good news for us. And I, I just kind of wonder if some of the reason that so many people, maybe even some who are in this room right now, I wonder if some of the reason that we struggle so deeply with anxiety and worry and fear is because when it comes to our money and possessions, we're treasuring the wrong kingdom. Like, you're treasuring the kingdom of pleasure. You're treasuring the kingdom of comfort. You're treasuring the kingdom of safety and security and reputation and fear of man. And all the while, you're not treasuring the kingdom of God. And you say, well, wait a minute. Like, like I've determined in my heart what I'm going to give to the Lord. And, and I give that to the kingdom of God. And, and I set that aside. But then the rest of this, like, like I, this is kind of mine. And I just want to see what I can do with this and, and how this is all going to go. And listen, loved ones, we need to understand right at the very bottom of this pile, we need to get this, that that's not the way the kingdom of God works. That if we are in for following Jesus, then it is all or nothing. And if you choose nothing, then you're not following Jesus. Even if you choose part, you're not following Jesus in the way that Jesus calls us to follow him. Like we need to understand, even as we talk about money, possessions, this, that, what we have, what we don't have. Like we need to understand as we talk about these things that, that ultimately these things are not ours. Like, we have these things, and I get that. I'm not trying to split hairs here, but, but the way that we talk about these things is very, very important. Like, we talk about my money and my possessions and my house and my car and my investments and my bank account and my this and my that. And I get that. I understand that. But in the end, ultimately, we need to understand that everything that we have begins with a basic understanding that it's all from God. It's all from God, and it's all for God. And we need to get that because it's so easy for us to be tempted so subtly to start thinking, yeah, this is mine. This is my money. Like, I worked hard for this. I put in the time. I put in the energy. I did this. I did that. I made that work. And so then we hang on to it so tightly. We just wrap our arms around it and our grip becomes so tight on those things. And before long, like, we've slid down this slope so far that we've completely forgotten that all of this is from him and for him. So let's be very careful in how we talk about these things and realize that Jesus calls us to undivided loyalty. 
Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. That leads us then to the second way to treasure the kingdom. Notice this, unquestioned identity. Unquestioned identity. You need to know who you are. Um, I think what Jesus says here next is absolutely massive because I'm concerned that so many people in our Canadian culture but also so many people within our Christian culture have been sucked into the lie that so much of your identity is defined by what you have. Like so much of your identity is defined by what you can hold on to, by what you can wrap your arms around in this life, by the size of your house, by the size of your bank account, by the size of whatever, and, and we just, we get, we get so fixated on that. Come to think that so much of it is defined by what we have, and I believe, even just based on what Jesus says right here in this passage, that the idolatry that grows in our lives around money and possessions happens because we forget that life is not about what we have, it's about whose we are. Notice what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock. Just let those words just kind of wash over you right now. Fear not, little flock. Like that is your Savior talking to you right now. I can't even begin to describe how impactful those four words, this one verse has been to me over the past year and a half or so. Fear not, little flock. Like this, this just indicates how weak and fragile we are. But at the same time, it shows us that we belong to a good shepherd who knows every need that we have, and he loves us. And this good shepherd not only protects us, but he's the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He was the spotless lamb whose shed blood covers over all of our sins. He sacrificed his own life so that we could live in him. And that by believing in him, we have been rescued from a kingdom of darkness and brought into a kingdom of his glorious light. And not only do we enter into his kingdom, but we come to receive this kingdom from the king himself. Fear not, little flock. Listen, loved ones. Idols are broken. Like, idols are absolutely demolished. When we move from what we're worshiping to who we need to be worshiping. Okay, when we move from what we've been worshiping to who we need to worship, the lesser what needs to be overcome by the greater who. Because by faith in Christ, you are a child of the Father. You are a child of the eternal King who is worthy of all of our worship. So no matter how much our material possessions may come and go in this life, the eternal possessions of the kingdom will always be ours. Like right now, in this moment, by faith in Christ, you are eternally rich in Jesus. Like we need to see that. And I treasure the right kingdom when I settle this matter in my heart. I have unquestioned identity. I belong to the Father. And when that happens, don't you notice that, that all of a sudden it starts to loosen your grip on the things of this world? Which leads us then to number three. Five ways to treasure his kingdom. Number three, unleashed generosity. So verse 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Let's just stop there for a second. Just in case you're wondering, this is not an isolated incident where Jesus only says something like this once and then we never hear it again. Check this out, Luke 14, 33. So therefore, 
Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Matthew 19, verse 21, in talking to the rich young ruler, Jesus said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, it'd be really easy for us to sit here right now and think to ourselves, well, you know what, Jesus hasn't called me to sell everything that I have and, and give to the needy. And it may be true that maybe Jesus hasn't called you to sell everything that you have, but that's not entirely the point. When Jesus teaches this in verse 33, he's not just giving us a random command. He's exposing our allegiance to money and possessions. When he said that to the rich young ruler, go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. He's exposing that guy's allegiance to money and possessions. And what Jesus is saying here is that he wants total trust from those who follow him. He's exposing the idols within our hearts. He's he's pulling at them. He's tugging at them right now. And he's saying, I just want your total heart. I want your total trust. I want you to follow me with everything that you have. The point that he's making here is that when there's anything in your life that's coming between you and trusting him, anything in your life that's coming between you and following him with everything that you have, then that thing that's coming in between needs to be taken out. That's the idol that's been in your heart. And that thing needs to come out. It all comes back to where we find our treasure. Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. So the bottom line then is this. If Jesus really is your treasure... Are you willing to ask him if he's leading you to sell everything that you have and give to the needy? Like, I'm just asking, like, are you even willing to ask that question of Jesus? If he really is your treasure, are you willing to ask him if he is leading you to sell everything that you have and give to the needy? Are you willing to ask Jesus if he's leading you to downsize your house and live with less? Are you willing to ask him if he's leading you to sell your vehicles and live simpler? You're willing to ask him if, if he's even leading you to take the savings that you've accumulated for years, maybe even decades, and you've been saving for a rainy day, you've been saving for retirement, you've been saving for a goal that you've had for a long time. Are you willing to ask Jesus if he's leading you to take all of that and give it away? See, on its most basic level, listen carefully, this is really important. On its most basic level, the question here is not just, am I willing to sell my stuff and give to the poor? The question here is, do I believe that Jesus is Lord of my stuff? That's the question. That's what we have to come to grips with. That's where our heart needs to be. Like These are such important questions. When you consider that the poor and the needy are so close to the heart of Jesus. Such important questions when you think that that we live in a day in our culture when more than 40% of the world is living on less than $2 a day. Would you just consider that for a minute? In the age in which we live, where we have known unequal prosperity, almost half of the global population today is living on less than a toonie per day. And it's so easy for us to get into this mindset that that we don't really think that we're rich or we don't even really feel like we're rich, that we don't really have that much. And I get that. We all feel that. We all think that at times. And, and part of the reason that we fall into that wrong thinking is because when we think that and when we feel that, we're most often comparing ourselves to people who have more than we do, not to people who have less than we do. 
David Platt references in one of his books. If we have clean water, sufficient food and clothes, a roof over our heads at night, access to medicine, a mode of transportation, even if it's public, and the ability to read a book, then relative to billions of people in the world, we are incredibly wealthy. Like we drive through the streets of our own city. You don't need to go across the world to see this. We drive through the streets of our own city and there are more Derricks and Crystals and Ashleys that are waiting and needing to be loved. But it starts with treasuring the right kingdom. And when we do, not only is there this unleashed generosity within our life, like when we treasure the right kingdom, it's like, it's like our hearts become this river that just can't be stopped. Like just, just flowing with this generosity that's coming out of us because we're treasuring the right things. Not only is there unleashed generosity, but then also this, number four, unhindered clarity. Unhindered clarity, five ways to treasure the kingdom. Verse 33, notice what Jesus says. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Money bags were like ancient wallets. It's where they would put their money or their treasure. Jesus says here, put your treasure into something that's never going to fade away. Put your treasure into something that's never going to let you down. It's never going to disappoint you. Put your treasure in something that can never be taken from you or eaten up by stuff that in the end, it just doesn't matter. Like you've been given these things by God. What are you putting them into? What am I putting them into? I mean, think about this. What is Jesus' treasure? Obviously, he gives us what we have to take care of our daily needs and those of our families, but but Jesus treasures the work that he's given his church to do. He treasures the salvation of the lost here at home and around the world. He treasures his children growing closer to him. He treasures the poor and the needy and the homeless and the widows and the orphans. Like Jesus says, have that kind of unhindered clarity so that when when you receive these things from God, you don't invest them into stuff that's going to waste away or it's going to get eaten up by stuff that in the end, it just doesn't matter. It's eaten up by moths. We had a moth problem in our kitchen a few years ago. It was brutal. Like I have no idea where they came from, but it destroyed like everything. They ate all our stuff. Wasn't too happy about that. Like everything was wasted. It was just disgusting. Like we had to clean everything out and start all over. And, and see, that's kind of the point that Jesus is making here. If you treasure the wrong kingdom, then all the stuff that God has given you is going to get eaten up and be wasted. It's just going to be gone. There's only one kingdom that is absolutely guaranteed. Jesus says, give your life to that kingdom. Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. All of that leads then to this last point, number five. Uncovered priority. Uncovered priority. Notice verse 34. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We've said it before in this series. You want to know uh, what someone's really passionate about, then just look at how they spend their time, look at how they spend their talents, and then look at how they spend their treasure. The treasure will always follow the heart and the treasure will always reveal the heart. The question then becomes, which kingdom do you treasure? Which kingdom are you giving your life to? Because Jesus wants you to treasure the right kingdom. With that in mind as we close, uh, let me offer three questions to help us uncover our priority within our life. Okay, three simple questions, then we're done. Question number one, 
Am I treasuring the right kingdom? So that's where we start. Because if, if you're not treasuring the right kingdom, then there's not really much else that matters within our life. Like, not much is going to change until you realize why you can trust the king. Until you realize why you can give your life to follow after the king. Like, like, think about it for a minute. What do your saving patterns and your spending patterns and your giving patterns, what, what are your giving patterns? You're giving to the mission through the church. You're giving to the needy. Like, what do those patterns reveal about which kingdom you treasure? Which inevitably then leads us to question number two. Am I daily surrendering to the lordship of Jesus in the needs that I have and with the possessions that I've been given? So am I daily surrendering to the lordship of Jesus in the needs that I have and with the possessions that I've been given? Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Like this is not just a once in a while, whenever it feels right kind of behavior. This is a way of life. This is a daily death to self for those who truly treasure the kingdom of God. Am I daily surrendering to the lordship of Jesus in the needs that I have and with the possessions that I've been given? Which leads then to question number three. Will I ask Jesus how he's leading me to change the way I live for the sake of helping the needy in his name? So notice the question here is not, will I ask Jesus if he's leading me to change the way that I live? The question is, will I ask Jesus how he's, change, how he's leading me to change the way I live for the sake of helping the needy in his name? So for some of us in the room right now, that's going to mean a radical change, like maybe selling everything you have and giving to the needy. Like it could be that God's working in somebody's life in this room right now, and that's the direction that God's going to lead you. For others, it could be a gradual change, like downsizing in some ways to free up more resources for the kingdom. But for all of us, no matter where we may be on that spectrum right now, it means laying ourselves and everything that we have down before God and saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with everything that you've given to me? After we met Derek and Crystal and Ashley and a few others on Tuesday, few of us from our church were part of a discussion at City Hall on Wednesday about how to provide care and compassion for the homeless across our city, not just in light of the current crisis of homelessness that we have here, but, but really to be part of a long-term plan, a long-term solution. And, and it's become clear to me, it's become clear to our staff and to our elders and uh, to some others in our church as well that because the poor and the needy and the homeless are so close to the heart of God, and that's abundantly clear across God's word. Um, and because this is such a real need right here in our own city, that the poor and the needy and the homeless need to be close to our hearts as well. And so trusting in God's leading, um, we're exploring some active ways that we can show care and compassion and mercy to the less fortunate that live right here in our own city. And, and so as information and opportunities become available, that's going to be filtered primarily through our small group ministry, and, and it'll be communicated in other ways too for those of you who may not yet be in a small group. So you can be looking for that, praying about that. Um, and I also want, um, I also know that uh, since we changed our church name a few weeks ago to Mission City Bible Church, that, uh, that many of you are eagerly waiting for what that means about how we can make a difference in our city for the kingdom of God. And I love that eager anticipation. I love it. Like, we can't lose that. At the same time, 
Um, I would also ask just for your continued grace and your patience as some people in our church family begin to work through some of these issues that are going to lead us into some of these directions as well because I think we all know this. These things take time and they take time to do well. We want to do them well and, and we're not looking to do everything, right? We can't do everything. We just want that unhindered clarity of investing specifically in the place where the Lord is leading us to be. And, and so as you wait for those details to trickle down over the next little while, uh, can I just encourage you to be praying and to be asking the Lord these three questions that, that we just worked through, that we just talked about a minute ago, and particularly to be praying through this last question, will I ask Jesus how he's leading me to change the way that I live for the sake of helping the needy in his name? And then I would even encourage you to ask like question 3B that just kind of flows right out underneath that. When Jesus does lead me to change, will I actually do it?